We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers got a 101-90 to win yesterday. One of those, the score was a, a, a little bit, uh, didn't tell you the story of the game. They went up by 30 in the first half. I loved yesterday's game, guys, because I thought it told us a lot about the team, some of the good and the bad. And um, Darius... I've been a little on the grumpy side with this team, despite them having the best record in the NBA. And I've been wanting that, you know, 4.0 A plus report card, which I'm not owed at all. It's just, I, I, last night was one of those games that first half, especially where I was like, this, this is what I'm talking about. This is why I've been grumpy. They're capable of so much, man. That first half, what a defensive display that was. So yes, I've been grumpy too. We talked about this the last pod, right? Us getting spoonfuls of vanilla ice cream and wanting our banana split or extra scoop on our Sunday. I think that we're, we're all capable of sort of getting lost in how good a team is versus like what they can be and then sort of projecting out what we want them to be as well. And I think as fans we can get like that i think as analysts we then start to like carry that attitude over and see some of the mistakes more so than what the positives are each night and it's very tiger mom of us like oh where's the where's the a plus right um when that a is perfectly fine the Last night's game, I thought defensively is really where it was at for them. Like, we'll talk AD in a little bit, and obviously he was great. Um, But the way that 
they were sort of moving on a string and passing players off and switching more seamlessly and, and covering for each other. That help the helper stuff to me is indicative of a team that's playing together. And there was much less of the like, where's my help at conversations that have happened over the course of these first few weeks. And I think it showed, you you know, the Bulls, one of the reasons why the game was close two weeks ago when these two teams played is the Lakers just were not covering the perimeter very well at all. And you could tell the Bulls, I don't think, hit a three until, what was it, like the third quarter? Right. Like they started 0 for 14 or 0 for 15, something like that. And the attentiveness the Lakers had and the focus that they played with on that end of the floor, I just thought in order to get that 30 point lead, I just thought it was great. Mike, you're shaking your head at the very beginning of me and Pete <laughs> lamenting, right? the best team in the league, not playing like the best team every single night, but still racking up wins, right? And so where's your mind at with, with this group right now? Yeah, well, I have been decidedly not grumpy at all this season and frankly impressed with how they played relative to the rest of the NBA and have had almost zero problems. So I think that's been pretty clear. That's been a pretty good theme. So, you know, maybe that's part of what I'm here for uh, is is to, you know, is to, make sure that uh, we get by the end of the podcast, we have some balance there. And uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't even know if that's true. I'll, here's what I'll say. What stood out about the game though. How do they beat the bucks just by hitting a million threes and locking down for a few minutes in each quarter, basically defensively. Right. But they didn't play that well overall, as Frank Vogel said, how do they beat the bulls bludgeoning them in the paint? Uh, 54 to 42 with the difference. It was a lot bigger than that before the Bulls had a bunch of garbage time buckets in the fourth quarter. And they made that little run in the third once the Lakers shut it down. Uh, and they fed Anthony Davis, who I know we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, but he had 11 of his 14 field goals in the paint. They had nothing to do with him there. And I didn't think like the Lakers played with really good force defensively. Certainly, I also thought the Bulls were just really bad. Uh, the Bulls were missing Wendell Carter. They were on the back end of a back-to-back where they flew back from Charlotte, which hasn't happened that often this year. A lot of the back-to-backs have been in the same city, and they just looked kind of ragged, and they they just didn't have much going. Uh, the Lakers certainly get credit for that, but it was a it was just a they were not playing like they played in the January 8th game, plus AD didn't play in that game, and that helped the Bulls kind of get going. And he, particularly for them, they had just nothing for him. Like, they started Lowry Markin in at the four, and a lot of times they ended up having Daniel Gafford come over, uh, a young player, and he just had no chance. So that was a an early destruction. But I, I therefore, wasn't really that impressed it was just more yeah it, the Lakers play with their basic uh, general level of energy and they're going to bludgeon this team uh, pretty soundly so uh, those are my main takeaways uh, Pete and I I don't want to get it I, I don't think we do this every pod but I don't I don't think it's to that thing where you guys aren't impressed and then I'm like oh it's fine so maybe maybe that theme uh, is a little bit overwrought <laughs> well for me I, just to give you an idea of where my mind's at is that it's got nothing to do with who we're playing for me personally, right? It's like every single possession is supposed to go a certain way, right? In, meaning that if we're on the defensive end, if 
the Bulls run this high ball screen with with Larry with uh, Levine, right? And say Markinen is the the ball screener, and he's in a pick and pop. This is what our defensive coverage is against that pick and pop coverage, right? And then everybody within that five man scheme has a job to do, and it's are they executing their job and are they playing with that amount of force, right? And that would be true if we were playing Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. This is something that's true that about any team that's going to run this action like we probably have this same coverage against a few different teams and so my mentality with this whole year is i don't think and maybe this is super arrogant arrogant guys but i don't think there's a team that can touch us if we come close to our best i really don't and there's a certain joy that they played with last night of there's a joy in playing defense that it's not this like bummer of a grind or anything. When you've got a team that's really locked in and they're flying all over the place, it's super fun. And they look like they were having fun playing defense, having fun making their rotations. A stat that I think we're going to see throughout this year that's going to be really indicative of how locked in we are is how many charges we take. Last night was a game I think we took six charges, which is a massive number in an NBA game. And that is, I have been talking a lot about how our defensive talent is geared toward beating you to the spot, right? That ability to cover ground horizontally. And last night was such a phenomenal example of that. And I thought AD was one of the guys that really got us off to that start. And like AD made these comments recently, right? About being in a funk and said the other day, oh, I, I've sucked recently. And um, it, which is probably overly critical, but the, in last night's game, he illustrated kind of how he can, how like we've been doing this, having the best record in the league with like AD is okay. And AD is kind of being this version of himself that he says he sucks in. Schroeder's barely made a bucket. I want to talk a little about him later, but when AD uh, really leads our defense, man, it has this domino effect on the rest of the team. Home cooking. A little bit for ad right chicago i feel like the trip to chicago for him is is a special trip every single year it was like that yeah. last year as well the lakers didn't play as well in chicago last year and the bench sort of bailed them out and there was an interesting version of that in the second half last night as well but ad seemed into it in a way that he hadn't been in a little while um i don't think ad needs anything else to get him going he, he was almost surely having some of the recent performances and his own sort of self-critical lens that he's been looking at his performances through on on his mind and he said to himself I'm sure like I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna kick everyone's ass this game and that's exactly what he did on both ends of the floor he seemed especially focused on being a paint player this game and that mindset of him, Mike, we have talked about this over the last few pods, I think, about sort of the shifting, potential shifting of the identity of the team and the want versus necessity to play with force all of the time in order to still be like an excellent winning championship caliber team right and i think last year there was a necessity to play in a certain way and this year they can play different styles and still be great i thought versus the bulls especially and i think you saw this from lebron in terms of how he attacked the paint but i thought it was especially visible with ad just with the fact that look like nothing's gonna happen in the key 
this game without me trying to do something about it. He wasn't always successful. A couple of guys got layups against him. It kind of slithered by him for shots in the restricted area. But for the most part, he was there and he was challenging shots defensively. And offensively, he said, you know what? I'm taking two extra dribbles every single time in order to try to establish the paint. And it worked for him. I think that among the biggest reasons that it worked going from Milwaukee to Chicago. So he went from Giannis and Brooke Lopez at the four or five uh, with some help at the rim and Chicago in playing Markinen and Gafford, that might be the worst defensive four or five combo in the NBA, or at least close to mm-hmm. it. You know, maybe some of the lineups that the Timberwolves or some other teams have been throwing out. So that, that when AD has, you know, the, this is the whole, um, you know, the whole inside the NBA push of the barbecue chicken thing. Like he, he looked up, he didn't even see Markinen. That he wasn't even in his view. He just took one dribble. Okay, marketing has gone. Gafford can't quite come over. And it's just a little bunny, little baby hook. So he got going early there. And this is so before the game, Frank Vogel got asked about AD since AD had those comments after the Bucks game where he said, yeah, I'm kind of in a funk. And Frank's like, I, I don't know if I really see it that way. And I agreed with Frank. Sure, AD wasn't in this great offensive rhythm, but the Lakers had also won three of those four games that he had been citing by double digits and LeBron and AD didn't have to play in the fourth quarter when sometimes it like some of that rhythm could have carried over and they were winning so easily. They were scoring in so many ways that he didn't have to be the AD where they get him a bunch of touches in the paint. And this goes back to the larger point, And I think I've kind of figured it out now, the dynamic of, of you guys. And I, I think it's because I talk to head coaches a lot. You guys are just treating this whole thing like coaches. You are always going to find, and you were coaches, you're going to find the the thing to come out of the game. And, and, and that's what you do. And it's great. And it, and it's like a, it's a great, it's a great sort of North star to try to get to. Um, But it's also like a way to make yourself more stressed than you need to when your team is the best, which they are, which they've shown in basically every game this season and throughout last season. So it's not going to get much better than this. Mike, I feel very seen by you right now. That is exactly the perspective I'm coming from. This is all just adolescent fantasy playing out for me of, boy, I wish I could coach the Lakers or something like that yeah. right now. And I'm sure Formula yeah. and Gold is is to an extent that, you know, this is what I have to share with. But yeah, that's exactly right. And this is the, th- the thing, man, is like I'm, I'm so uh, tiger mommy about this team that – because they can be so good, Mike. Like, this is an all-time team. This team has the ability to be one of the best teams to ever play basketball. But there's a process to getting there. Now, they can fall well short of that and still win an NBA championship. Or an injury could strike at the wrong time, and they can do everything right and not right. So we don't know how this story... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ends, but there are a lot of versions of this team that we go down and we're talking about them in 20 years like we were like we do about the team from 20 years ago the 2001 team and this team has shades of that uh, of that squad in them that where they remind me of that um and part of that is the ability to let the foot off of the gas pedal so let's take a quick break i want to talk about that stretch in the third quarter where the bulls cut it down to 14 because i thought that there were some interesting things to see in there as well Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring easy as one, two, three, post, screen, and interview, all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately, and Indeed skills tests that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests, then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com backslash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. So, yes, 63-33 start of the third quarter. And... That ends up being the starters play for a really long time, ends up getting cut down to a 14-point game, I believe, on a wing three from Kobe White. And I am sitting at, watching that, and I know it's happening, right? And I know there's, there's no danger of losing. Don't do this, Pete. I texted Darius and you precisely not to do this during the game. I'm like, here's what's going to happen. Don't worry about I it. I don't want to hear about it on the podcast. And now you're going, and now you're going. I'm I'm doing I'm doing this. I'm sorry. And I'm not worried about it. I knew it was hot, Mike. I knew the Lakers were in no danger of losing the lead. This is just something I want to talk about in a in a general sense. I'm not not gonna complain about this. This is none of this is a complaint, Mike. All right. Is this to me ties almost all the way back to LeBron. LeBron will the game is in hand. And this is how these types of games go, right? Like, I, I was not, like, upset about the second half. But LeBron rightfully looks for places where, like, he didn't have to be locked in, doesn't have to be, have his foot on the gas pedal the whole time. The thing is, though, is that he's he is the undisputed leader of this team. And so everybody else follows suit with him. When, when LeBron kind of unplugs, everybody else does, too. Which I get, right? And again, there's there are no danger of losing the the lead or anything. What I would love to see that I think that could have a side benefit too. 
I loved how the bench unit, as soon as those guys came came out, the bench unit snapped it immediately back in on the defensive end. And that's difficult to do, Darius, is you go from a 30-point lead to a 14-point lead. It's different with no fans, but you are on the road. And you get a young team kind of feeling themselves a bit, right? And momentum is difficult to stop like that immediately. Is But... It was right when LeBron went to the bench. I would love to see more units, even without LeBron or AD. And then what the the value that has is like Alex Crusoe has a little more ball handling ability. Uh, Dennis Schroeder may have some more opportunities. THT got some run. But those are the times where like get your superstars off of the court and let these guys kind of Kuz gets a few more touches, kind of play into a role maybe they don't normally get with all the talent that's on this team, right? So it's not it's not so much a complaint. It's just these are to me opportunities. Like sit LeBron at the five minute mark, right? And and let's let's go. Let's go with a unit that is still going to bring the juice in. Kind of this this ability to show off what they can do. So first of all, let me say the bike. <laughs> Mike's Mike did send you us. Can complain. You can complain all you no, want. No. It's all good. I'm, 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 not, gonna, I'm not gonna complain. <laughs> Darren, say, first of all, first of it's all. not like you're wrong. Like we agree, we agree on all this stuff that's happening, right? It's more, it's more. I'm just like, yes, um, but, but yeah, I, I, I will shut up because I was just trying to give Pete a hard time. But I don't want to, no. I want to take, I don't want like a Reddit thread going up about this, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, we're, we're getting hate. Yeah, you can get some hate for this, Mike. Yeah. No, Mike Sorry. sent us the text, and I don't think either of us were expressing any sort of doubt or concern or comparing it to the Warriors game or anything like that. If, Mike I think thinks I, we're feral. Have you noticed that Mike thinks we're feral, that we're just like, what, if we're going great, we're just like, ah, it's the greatest team of all time. And then when we're, we go, you know, give up a 10 to two run, like these guys are terrible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're, he thinks that we're controlled by our emotions. And so it's sometimes we are, which is fine. Yeah, you know. <laughs> which is fine. Yes, which yes. is fine. So, second of all, when it comes to, like, the starters being in there a long time, I felt like Vogel was sort of giving these guys the room to get some run in that they probably weren't going to get at all in the fourth quarter. And yeah. and yeah. I'm sure that he expected those guys to sort of, at some point, maybe two minutes left in the quarter, maybe three minutes left in the quarter, say, you know what, okay, we played with our food enough now. Now we're just going to eat a little bit more. We'll get this back up to 20 or 22, and then that'll be fine. They never did it, though. And it was like a 14-point game or a 16-point game by the time that the third quarter ended, that it was over. And then that bench unit came came in, Pete. And, and just like you said, I was impressed by what they did defensively. Offensively, that group has a lot of guys who love the ball, right? And and so yes, I actually yes. thought some of the body language from some of the guys where everyone thought the extra pass should be made, except when they had the ball, they didn't think the extra pass should have been made. Like, it's totally fine if I go get mine. But that's right. But some of y'all other guys, y'all need to like, sure. look, I'm, I'm right here, Kuz. <laughs> I'm right here, or I'm right here, Trez, or I'm right here, Taylor. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. All those guys are sort of like, ooh, I'm feeling myself tonight. We've all got a reason to go and eat. But all that stuff aside, I thought they locked in defensively. That 
two defensive possession stretch where they basically forced 24 second violations on back to back possessions. The way they moved on a string together, the way that they covered for each other, it wasn't always perfect either. There were a couple of possessions where two guys started the run to the same to make the same rotation and then one guy decided oh i see my teammates got it and i'm they going to then, too. Yeah. and then i'm going to skip over to the next rotation and they figured it out on the fly some that i thought was like ah all right this team's not 100% familiar with each other the way that the starting group was earlier during the game where all of those rotations were super sharp and crisp and they just shut the bulls down but they were working together defensively in a way with a certain amount of effort and desire to get the stop that was super impressive to me considering at one point the Bulls did go back to their starting group and while the talent difference started to show up some, that bench unit's ability to compete and still get stops against the Bulls starters, I thought was like, all right, this team has something here. Maybe not every night, but on some nights, it, I think it would be good to go to that group a little bit more. What happened, and this happens almost every time the Lakers get a lead like this in the third quarter, is that Vogel will just extend the rotation for LeBron and AD and let them ride out the third quarter because he wants them to be able to sit the fourth quarter. And in his mind, A, they're, you know that's their best way of keeping the lead with them in there, and B, uh, it lets them get to a at least a, a, a reasonable minute level you know where they're getting that full night's work in and they're getting their legs a certain amount of work, et cetera. So it ends up being somewhere between you know 28 and 30 minutes uh, or whatever that might be. And what ends up happening instead, though, is because it's not typical, it's not a typical rotation, LeBron or AD, uh, in this case it was more LeBron, they just sort of, uh, as Pete explained earlier, uh, let the foot off the pedal a, a little bit, and then the rest of the team follows suit. Whereas if they, if they would have taken LeBron out at, at his usual spot there and put in uh, really anybody else, then I think that they could have continued the tempo that they had carried out. So... As the third quarter was going on, we're discussing in the um, I'm discussing with the producer in the truck. And I'm like, OK, I think I think Vogel is going to be at least slightly annoyed and is going to come out with the energy group in the fourth quarter. Uh, now, however, AD and LeBron weren't going to play anyway because their minutes have been up to that point. But that group will will just come back. Look at the personnel. It's Caruso. It's Matthews. Um, it's Kuz. It's Montrez Harrell. Uh, and in this case, it's CHT because Markeith Morris was the one. Uh, that didn't play in this one with the Fogel's been now keeping it to a 10 man. It had been Taylor Horton Tucker. So all of that stuff was expected. Uh, the Bulls made their sort of, I didn't want to call it a comeback. I mean, they shut it, they cut it to 14. It started when LeBron let Williams take that corner three and, and just kind of in a Kobe style, like, all right, man, I don't think you can make this. If you can make it, congrats. I'm not, it's not going to worry us. And then it spiraled a little bit. And then, you know, they, they just kept the lead back up and pushed it to 20 until the complete garbage time threes uh, with, you know, Archie Diakono and Sadoransky, you know, that stuff always annoys me just for net rating purposes. Anyway, uh, none, <laughs> nothing, nothing that was unexpected, right. And all sort of, you could see it coming. And, uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a very professional win. Um, even with the typical, with the typical comeback that a team's always going to make from 30 points down. Yeah, for sure. And that's something the Bulls had won three in a row and they had had four very close losses before that. The Bulls haven't been blown out by anybody in quite a while. They've been playing good basketball, which isn't to say that we aren't the night that that would have happened anyway, but I, 
like the Bulls are not necessarily a good team, but they've been playing well relative to the rest of the league right now. And so being mm-hmm. able to do that is still impressive to me, the, the way that they were able to do that. The the defense, Darius, did you see what Alex Crusoe did to Zach Levine last night? Yeah, I did. Crusoe's one of the better, better, not the best, but he's one of the better all-around defensive guards in the entire league and he's probably if not like the best one of the top two or three help and instinct defenders like in the entire league maybe for like any position but especially as a guard he just has an innate sense and feel but talk to me more about like the individual matchup stuff because I tilt more towards some of the off-ball work that he was doing a little bit. Yeah, no, it was – so a lot of what Chicago does with Levine is they try to get him downhill and he's going to be off of handoffs. He'll start in the left corner oftentimes, so they try to get him moving to his right. And so <clears> – <throat> There's three or four – this is easier to illustrate with video, but there are three or four different points that Alex would like play him topside but not topside so much when he was standing in the corner that it would allow the back cut. So he's taking kind of both away there, and so he forces a wider angle around the screen for the handoff. And so now instead of Zach – when he gets the ball going downhill, he's still in the process of turning his momentum from going from sideline to sideline to going to the basket. Then he's riding his shoulder and he's beating him to the spot. So he's, he's turning and running. And then the problem with that is you're going to be vulnerable to a step back, right? If anytime you turn your hips, you're vulnerable to changes of direction. And so like, there's this one play where he's, he's turned a bit and Levine sees that. And so he steps back as he should, but then AC chops his feet real quick and, and plants his back foot so we can explode out into the closeout. Like, if Alex Crusoe is shooting, let's not say 50% from three or 58% or whatever the hell, like, what is this that he's doing? You know, it's, it's unbelievable how he's shooting. And if he, but if he's a 40% three point shooter or a high 30s guy, 38% bro, league average, if he's league average. That's one of the best three and D players in the NBA, Mike. Like, I, I feel like the minutes that he gets and he's kind of uh, everyone, you know, around the league kind of knows him as a Lakers cult hero. But to me, he's he's a guy that's flirting with being a top 50, top 60 player in the NBA. I genuinely believe that. You don't and have to ignore this with my arm. Man, like, and that's <laughs> the the ceiling of this team. It just blows my mind because he's a guy that's not coming in for the first 16 minutes of games. And if he, if I'd love to see what, uh, you know, 28 minute per game Alex Crusoe looks like, but that's, that's not the rotation and that that's fine. But like Mike, the, the shooting his his defense and his ability to just bring it every night. I, I feel like he's still underrated to the degree that we all love and adore him. Like this dude's one of the best three and D guys in the NBA. And I, I think it's time that people start talking about him as such. Yeah. So this is, this is just a classic example of if you, you really had to watch the game to get this feel because his box score number yesterday was 18 minutes, one for five shooting one for two from three, two assists, one rebound, three points. And yet he was one of the keys uh, off the bench for the Lakers, as he always is. So his lack of counting stats production is always going to hurt him in any argument that I try to make. And, and let's let's not go down the uh, Lou Williams, Alex Caruso 
road again. But when you just look at those raw stats and the way that we all grew up looking at the box score, it's tough to argue that Caruso is a better player. Uh, but he is. He was last year. He is this year. And his impact can be seen at least in uh, the the on-off rating. It can be seen in net rating. It can be seen in defensive rating. It can be seen in um, how his teammates play when he's on the court. Um, all of those little things. So we have some stats now uh, that kind of can confirm that eye test. But you just don't see him you know, making a lot of buckets. And he's still not great if he has to make a play going to the rim. Like that, that was where he got into some trouble in that Bulls game where he had a couple of wild finish attempts and stuff like that. But as Darius mentioned, uh, the, the spot up shooting alone has gotten so much better. And I've asked both Caruso and KCP in the last couple of games in the, either the pre or the post game interviews about that shooting. And part of it, and, and actually KCP kind of put it really well that they now are super familiar with the spots in the half court to get to when in a couple situations, one screen roll with either LeBron or AD. Okay, th- this is the area where I, I need to slide to. Or on a LeBron drive, KCP knows where LeBron likes to kick it out to. Uh, and Caruso has j- just intuitively knows these things because he's a basketball genius. So he knows where those spots are. And now LeBron and AD are also completely familiar with where they're going to be. And that just that is what, to me, for I was not a shooter, uh, but that is what a shooter is looking for, that that consistency that muscle memory, that knowing where the ball is going to come in the catch. And I think that's, it's not going to mean that they're both, you know, 55 plus percent, but it is going to mean that they're 40 plus percent, which is where you want to be. And that is a, a, a super thing to have in the offense, especially when Marcus Gasol can also contribute uh, on, along those lines. So I see, I, I know I, I kind of shifted there from the original, original Caruso question. And you, again, we could spend a whole pod, the three of us just talking about how much we love him, but it's just the fit of him next to LeBron and AD to me is what the key is. Like he wouldn't be, if he were playing on Oklahoma city right now at the time of the nope. recording, you know, they're going to lose to the Clippers again. Like it, he wouldn't be the same player. He would be, he would be impactful because of his defense, but it's like, he, he is a guy that plays off of stars. He's the guy where That's if, right. if, if it like he could play in the all-star game, um, it, like just as sort of the fifth guy next to yeah. four all-stars, he would be, be awesome. Yeah. It'd be awesome. Yeah. But if he were, if he were in the rookie sophomore game, probably not as much. You know, I love that. That is such a good analogy. Yes, yes. I love Alex Caruso. Um, I I actually wish Vogel would find ways to get him more minutes. Like, I understand that the Lakers are deep at guard. I understand that in the pecking order of things and in the bigger picture of a very veteran heavy roster, um, that the head coach has some difficult decisions to make night to night. And that to me, it's not a coincidence that it was THT who found himself out of the rotation for a longer stretch, just because when Vogel decided he was only going to go to a 10 man rotation and he's going to cut a player from the rotation, like rather than maybe having a more versatile group out there with more ball handling, um, more playmaking, right? He didn't. He went with another big man that you sort of have to squeeze into an already crowded big man rotation. Now, the guard rotation is, is crowded as well, but the trending of the league tells you that you could get away with playing more smaller skilled players more often than what you can probably playing 
bigger, less skilled players. And that's not a knock on Keith, who I think is plenty enough skilled to hang in the league. He was crucial to the Lakers win in the playoffs over the Rockets. He saw good minutes against the Heat in the finals. He's obviously can be a high-level contributor for a championship-level team. So that's not to take anything away from Markeith. There's a text that I could have gotten from either of you that I would have totally entertained as a complaint. Uh, And it would have been, Caruso (laughs) didn't check into the game, Pete, until the 324 mark of the second quarter. Mm. He was the 10th man in the game. And I. this goes to the point that Darius was just making. I think in if you ask the three of us, we might say Caruso is your sixth guy. Like he is the guy who should be guaranteed to come in at a certain time every game. He should have a floor of minutes. And that that's at least that is how I feel. And I, I would probably take him above Wesley Matthews in the pecking order. Um, I shouldn't even say probably. I definitely would. And you know, then it's basically uh, between him. Like I certainly would take him over THT certainly at this point. And those are the three backup guards behind Schroeder uh, and of course, KCP. So, but it's also lined up in situations where Caruso is going to finish games more than those guys. And so we know that Vogel trusts him and it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's, it's like, I think he's, I'm, I guess I'm complimenting Vogel in a way he's finding a way to make everybody happy but maybe we would be even happier if Caruso still closed the games, but also got in first. So I don't know. Maybe that's being Pete, please collect my thoughts. No, no, no. (laughs) I think, I think Bumble knows what he has in Alex, right? Like he's extremely confident in what Alex can do. Remember he, Alex didn't, wasn't in the rotation to start last season. And that was when Quinn Cook was getting rotation minutes. It's when Troy Daniels was getting rotation minutes. Alex Crusoe has earned, like going from there to starting game six of the NBA finals, Frank Vogel knows exactly who Alex Crusoe is. And that continuity and familiarity that you were talking about with KCP and Alex, having that ability to go like, oh, LeBron's driving from the wing driving right i know i need to drop to the weak side corner they know that a split second earlier this year than they did last year because they played with lebron more and this is now what the third year with lebron for for uh, alex as well right and that same type of continuity and familiarity exists between a coach and a player and the fully realized best best version of this team is going to have Dennis Schroeder playing a bigger role I think on offense or at least in a more comfortable one and I think that that's part of why like Vogel could put Vogel could Vogel could put Alex in the game he could start Alex he could put him in the game as the first sub as you're talking about, Mike. And we would be much more likely to roll teams in ways that for the short-term goals, and I've been advocating the short-term and the today so much this season, right, that I'm kind of taking the uh, longer opposite view here. Every minute that Schroeder plays right now is really important. And I've loved, Darius, I've loved how he still competes and he still has value how a player plays when their offense isn't going and they don't feel good about themselves in that way can they still defend their asses off like this stretch of a couple games of shooter really struggling i've kind of fallen for him even a little bit more because 
he's continued to come, like he showed me more of what he's about. And those dudes, like I'll ride with a guy like that all day long. The question though is he is going through a bit of a offensive slump. He had some nice signs of life in the second half uh, of that game. I thought that was valuable, but what are you seeing in, in him that you think could maybe get back on track to fit into a different environment and dynamic than I think any other roster he's played on. Before I answer that question, can I just say when you mentioned Frank Vogel knows what he has in Alex Caruso, I think that also applies to not only on the floor in terms of skills and ability to, to produce, but in terms of temperament. And Mm, so I think that he also knows that Alex isn't going to be, someone who is like lobbying behind he's not going to be a locker room lawyer right which we if you haven't heard that term that's the player who is always negotiating within the context of the locker room to his teammates and maybe saying things and arguing for himself to get more and that can be disruptive to the team environment Alex is the opposite of that. And I think Vogel understands that. And he knows that he's going to get the best from Alex, regardless of what role he slots him into. It's why, in theory, in game five of the NBA finals, he could have played six minutes. And in game six, and he would have been super productive in those six minutes. And then in game six, he could have started him like he did. And he would have gotten that same high level balls to the wall performance that Alex is going to give you regardless. And there's that temperament that I think plays into what Alex's slotting is within the rotation that is important. And I'm sure is like a godsend to a coach like Frank Vogel, who understands he's got 11 guys who can all play. And how do I make a rotation work in terms of Schroeder? It was advertised with him, but seeing it every night, his competitiveness is super important to what his success is going to be on this specific team. I do think he can get a little bit down on himself offensively and him finding the right balance between scoring and passing and being a true setup man is something I think he's going to negotiate all season. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if he never quite found the ideal percentage that works exactly right for this specific team. Like he's just such a dynamic scorer and player with the ball in his hands. Um, And I honestly think he's being asked to play in different, like stylistically, he's being put in more situations that aren't necessarily to his strengths. Like I think after seeing him now for almost 20 games, I think that he's probably not the pick and roll player that we thought he was coming into this team. I think we all sort of had these visions of him being the second coming of Lou Williams and that he was going to be this partner with with Trez and he was going to be this partner with Anthony Davis. And really, Schroeder is much more of like an isolation player than he is a pick and roll player. And I think that he'd much rather play on a cleared side or when he's even and a guy thinks that he squared up with him and then beat that guy right rather than say i'm gonna i'm gonna have all these all this pick and roll craft right whereas like oh yeah i'm putting you in the sidecar or i'm putting you or i'm putting you in jail behind me i'm snaking 
the pick and roll, crossing over, pulling it back, and then darting. Like he has some of that in his game, Pete, but I don't necessarily think that that's that's his go-to stuff. I think his go-to stuff is I'm quicker than you. I can do one or two quick crossovers and then I'm just by you and then I'm scoring. And I think that's a much more comfortable place for him than, hey, let's run a bunch of dribble handoff and let's put me in 30 or 40 pick and rolls a game. Like, like maybe I'm off base with that. Mike and Pete, this goes to you too. Like, do you think that from a comfort level, it's more like I'm feeling my way into a new team? Or is it like, hey, all of these sets aren't actually, from an X's and O standpoint, like ideal for me, but I'm going to make them work because I'm talented enough to do it. You know, I'll let Pete focus, uh, if you will, a little more on the shot distribution and the difference between screen roll action and him just attacking line drives and such, because I think you do probably have a point there. I would say that the it's probably less significant to me what all that is so much in that when you're playing on a team with the two stars, you're just not going to get to eat as much and say the same thing. What's wrong with Kuzma last year? There's nothing wrong with him. LeBron and AD are getting most of the shots and most of the touches, and he's going to have to find either quick shots or spot up shots. You just, if you have these two incredible offensive players, top five offensive players on your team, you're not going to have the ball enough to really get into a rhythm of what you want to do. That goes for everybody else on the team. And it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. But guess what you get for it? A lot of wins and possibly a title. And I think Schroeder is the good news about Schroeder. And this is what Billy Donovan, uh, he didn't say this last night. He said this on January 8th, the first game before the game about Schroeder. And he said, in OKC, no matter what you gave him on offense, and of course he wants, like he's, he wants more. Okay, he does. He wants to start. He wants more shots. But he's super competitive, so he's playing hard on defense no matter what happens on offense. And that is the kind of dude that you have to have. And I think that Kuzma has kind of evolved into that more, right? He's, he's now, even if he wants more shots, he wants more touches, but he's not going to hang his head and cry and not play defense and not rebound and not come and block shots. So that, to me, is what the Laker role players have to do. And Pete, if you want to if you want to take this specific question, though, uh, I'd be curious for your response too about where he can get his shots within the offense. I have a few uh, big picture thoughts, too, with Schroeder. I think that he's I see a tentative player when he's at his best. He's got a ton of swagger and he feels very confident in himself. He's a really confident player. And. It's one thing to just play alongside Chris Paul, where Chris Paul was the only guy on that team where I'm sure in Schroeder's mind, he was like, yeah, that guy probably deserves the ball more than me. And as good as Shea is, he's he's young, right? Schroeder is a, an older player, and he would often take over down the stretch of high-level games. He's got two of those guys that he knows are better offensive players than he is, and he spent so much of his career with the ball in his hands. And like you were saying, Mike, you get the fewer touches, you get fewer shots, but it's also mentality too. And so it's hard to maintain that super aggressive, I'm always going to go mentality when you can really credibly say like, hey, if I slow down and pull back here, and remember, so much of his game is based on speed, that if I slow down and pull back and give the ball to Anthony Davis in the high post, that's probably a better play than choosing to turn on the speed because that's a big part of his game is that he had, we talked about this in the preseason with some of the turnovers that he gets, is that he has to decide, I'm going to attack the hell out of the basket. And then 
the on like you're going and sometimes he's going to run into a, a roadblock right but it's too late for him to really change his mind he has to make kind of an acrobatic pass or something to to get out of it and a lot of times those can be turnovers so he's not using his speed as much because he looks a lot more tentative to me that said um how he's competing on the defensive end, as I said earlier, and I think they're finding a good rhythm on the pick and roll between – I disagree in part on the pick and roll uh, thing because I think he's a good partner with Anthony Davis, and they're really starting to find some chemistry. AD hit the, his first couple threes in a little bit, and a couple of them were just off of uh, Schroeder AD pick and rolls. He's had less of that chemistry with with Trez, although I want to say THT and Trez have had some interesting uh, pick and roll chemistry this year. But Schroeder with AD, Schroeder is not a hard dribble pull up shooter, right? And so this is what's effective against drop coverages in general. And he likes to either get a step on you and do that little pump fake and let you fly by and pull it back. And he took one of those shots and missed it yesterday. Um, he likes that move. Or he'll like to do that pullback dribble. And he likes his momentum going away from the basket when he shoots his jumper. And some guys are like that, right? But it's hard to for him to shoot that step into it with your momentum going forward jumper that drop coverages often call for. But if a team's in a drop and you got AD popping out to the three-point line and being a threat there, that's where he can really shine. And so I, I agree with you that he's it doesn't have that Lou Trez type of chemistry between between the two of them. But I do think that they're finding more and more. Darius, where can he find his shot? That's one of my big questions. I know you got things to respond to with what, what I said. But that's the thing I want to know more from you is when he when are his scoring opportunities going to come? So two more points about the pick and roll just quickly. He's small. Yeah. Right. And so he's he shot that pull-up jumper in the pick and roll a, a few times this year, Pete, and just gotten it blocked, mm -hmm. even when guys are in drop coverage or when guys are offering back pressure to him. So there's a trickiness there for him because his release is not as quick as what I think you would want it to be, even in spot-up situations. Like, he really likes to wind up his, his jumper. And when you're a smaller player, that can be tricky, right? Because that wind-up means that uh, it's a half a beat longer and then if it's a longer guy that's closing out on you you might be more aware of that and pull it back and he's been pulling his three back a bit more lately than he was earlier during the season the other thing i just wanted to touch on really briefly about this is that it's the it's not only pete that he has lebron and ad now as like viable you guys are just better than me offensive options some of this could also be just the value of possessions and the value of on a championship team and in terms of what is my decision making in comparison to LeBron James. Right. Right. Which is even right. at another stratosphere than Chris Paul, right. who is obviously the point guard of his generation in terms of decision making and leading a team. But this is LeBron James. And if that seeps into your head at all about sort of like, like 
what would LeBron do, right? There's the whole, like, what would Jesus do? Well, what would LeBron do? Like, yeah. is, is he pulling it back? Is there choices to make here? Mike, do you, do you have something to add with that? It's just, I was just thinking that's why certain guys, certain no conscious guys have been okay fits at times next to LeBron and others not, but like the J.R. Smiths and the Mario Chalmers and the guys that were just going to, uh, you know, even Kyrie that were going to come in no conscious. Cause sometimes that's a good thing where you can't be intimidated by guys, but then other times it can go too far and then you need to sit your ass on the bench because you're taking too many possessions away from LeBron. Well, Derek Fisher was like that for Kobe, right? Like Fisher and Kobe came in the same year, but Fisher was older, but it was clear very early on in their careers that Kobe's the dude and Fisher is the role player guy. But there were times where Fisher talked about like, nah, there are some times where I'm just going to look this dude off. Like, no, you're not getting the damn ball yeah. I'm making the decision here and you have to trust your own decision making over the super Uber star. Right. And it's Schroeder's first yeah. year here. I think he's still trying to figure some of that stuff out. And that is why him playing yeah. 32 minutes and AC playing 16 minutes makes sense. Right. Because AC already knows how to play with LeBron. He already knows how to play that's with right. Anthony Davis. Dennis Schroeder is still figuring it out. And that's part of the value of this part yeah. of the season. That's a good point. That's a good point. And same thing with Matthews. Uh, the one the one last thing I wanted to point out that uh, just kind of occurred to me, I was looking at the Lakers net rating and then I, I was like, oh, you know what? Frank Vogel made a comment about transition and the Lakers were only averaging eight fast break points a game in the prior four games. And I asked him about it and he said, well, we obviously want to run more, but teams are going nuts overboard and sending players back to the point where they're sending nobody to the offensive glass a and if you look at the defensive rebounding percentage numbers, the Lakers are rebounding 76.9% of shots, which leads the league uh, by a decent amount. New Orleans is number two, you know, with Steven Adams kind of anchored in there. And that's just, it's another thing that it just straight up helps your defense. Now it might hurt your transition offense a little bit and it might take some away. And they, they ended up running a decent amount actually um, in finishing they, compared to what they have been. They were 13 fast break points, but that is just another interesting area that teams watched the Lakers uh, in the bubble, especially, and they watched them early this year against Houston those t- couple times. And they're like, okay, guys, here's the number one thing in the scouting report. Get your ass back. And it's just, it's going to be interesting to me to see how that impacts them, if at all, offensively. But I do think it'll help them defensively because they're not going to be getting too many second shot opportunities. Yeah, so this plays right into the whole we're at our best when we're scrambling and beating teams to a spot. One thing that those types of scrambling defenses are vulnerable to is giving up offensive rebounds because you're not in a stationary position. You don't necessarily – it's not just turn and box out your man type of thing, right? Now – so you can be vulnerable to an offensive player who isn't being picked up by a defender swooping in and getting that. Now we've got LeBron and AD, especially even guards like Caruso. Schroeder is good at this too, which I've, I've loved. Uh, they can do some swooping of their own. Right. And, and so, but those, those rebounds are often gathered in the air rather than they are via box out. Although Mark's one, a great box out guy. Wes Matthews is a great box out guy. But if that, that adjustment, the more teams send guys back in transition rather than to the offensive boards, even if it hurts our transition offense, it's an, a net win because I think it's a better thing for our defense. Well, Pete, the thing is, and so I'm going to bridge this recent stuff right now with the question that you asked me about where Schroeder could get more points, right? Because yeah. I think that he can be personally even more just assertive as 
an open court player as like pushing the pace himself yeah. and doing a little bit more of that one man fast breaking that in the scope of a game of a hundred possession game, right? That if he goes for one or two of those yep. a game where he's just like, you know what? Like I'm going yeah. like y'all aren't coming with me. It's fine. I'll be the scout. Even in high level games, Tony Parker used to do that with his speed all the time. He would just say, you you know what? The hell with it. We're playing two centers and <laughs> right. Bruce Bowen, <laughs> right? Like, no, like I'm not bringing y'all with me, yep. right? I'm going to go on this. I'm going to go on this little one-man mission myself, and I'm going to try to get something. And that could that could end up being a layup. It could also end up being, though, a trip to the foul line. And when you're struggling with your jumper a little bit, seeing the ball go through the hoop at all on like at the free throw line, that could be useful to, to him, too. Another thing I'd like to see is the Lakers have been using less of it this year, but that horn set that was like a staple of their offense last season, which is the double handoff stuff. They've been doing that, but they've been running it more for jump shooters like Wes and for Coos. And rather than coming off of those screens tight, they've been flaring it some or taking a wider route and coming to the three point line in order to make that a three point shot rather than, yeah, they're more shooters than the downhill type guys. Yeah. I'd love to run that action for Dennis a couple of times a game too. I don't think yeah. I've seen them yeah. run it for him even five times this entire season. And we're 16 games into the year or 18 games into the season. Like that's a place too where him coming off of a double with his quickness, he could really create separation coming off of those screens, getting a dribble pitch from an Anthony Davis or a Marcus Saul and or even a Trez, and then and then being able to walk into that elbow jumper, which he's super good at, or turn the corner all the way to get to the rim or offer a drop-off handoff or the lob. We talked about how that set last year created simple decision-making for guys who weren't really point guards, right? Like KCP, Avery Bradley. Like it, it put them in playmaking positions or positions where they could score to their strengths. I think that those are strengths that Schroeder has as well, but he's even a more dynamic passer than those guys are, especially on late dump offs, that that's an action that could be beneficial to him as well. I love that, man. Yeah, uh, that's part of the fun of this team is that I think like I'm a game or two away from being like, oh, this is it's starting to, we're starting to take that next step forward in the season. Right. And, uh, we're getting better. It's fun to see. And there's still so much untapped potential with this team. It's been a, a ton of fun. Got a, a good game coming up against Cleveland. They play very hard, very good on the defensive end. Excellent, baby. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a, Hey, they beat the net twice back to back games. You know, the, the Cavs. I know this isn't going to turn into a Cavs preview right now but they're super big they're athletic up front mm -hmm. and they've got dynamic scoring guards and colin sexton is looking like a guy who is just a gamer yep. right and it'll be in that's an interesting and fun matchup between teams that kind of have the same sort of profile mm -hmm. right not the same type of talent but the same type of profile so it'll be an interesting game yeah, that'll be fun. Let's see if we can go to 10 and 0 on the road. How crazy would that be, man? Super fun. Uh, there's, there's a lot of fun guys. Really uh, enjoy talking about this team and, and watching them get better. Uh, got another one coming up tomorrow on Monday. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. 
Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.